Hi, everybody. Welcome to the August 3rd, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the successful fundraising effort for the $10,000 needed to add a portrait of President Donald Trump in the state capitol's presidential gallery. The effort came after a prankster placed a portrait of Vladimir Putin in the vacant space. Patty Calhoun from Westward, uh, I have to admit, I'm no art critic, but that, that picture, the portrait of Vladimir Putin really wasn't bad. What do you think? Well, I think it was a good placeholder for him. Uh, it, it was funny that people didn't really realize they had to raise the money for it. They probably were too busy worrying about raising the money for their own campaigns. But I would like to suggest they hire Kenny B. to do the portrait. <laughs> I, I would uh, donate to a fundraising effort for that. I think that's a fantastic idea. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. I wasn't even aware the state capitol had a presidential gallery, let alone a vacancy for a current president. What did, oh, was that a surprise to you? It's got lots of galleries. You can, there's a Ooh. gallery of attorneys general throughout the throughout state history, uh, in, including the, the great Charles Toll, among others. Uh, but what I think is we need a compromise where you put up the picture of the portrait of the president and the portrait of his favorite foreign leader. So you could have the Trump and the, the Putin portrait. And I agree the Putin portrait was well executed. So with Reagan, you'd have a Margaret Thatcher portrait. Uh, for the President uh, uh, George W. Bush, you'd put Prince Bandar from Saudi Arabia. Uh, for President Clinton, you could put the, the Emir of Qatar. Um, and then everybody can be included. I, I like that. And uh, if, if Bernie wins, we'll put up a port, uh, in 2020, then we'll have a Lenin portrait. <laughs> At least we're, we're trying to do something on an equal basis. I like that, David. Eric Sondran, political analyst. Uh, Senate President Kevin Grantham uh, looks like he led the fundraising effort, uh, led it pretty successfully pretty quickly. A, a good move by Senate President Grantham. Oh, sure. What better way to show your Republican bona fides, man of the people, than to raise money for a portrait of our of our great president. I thought the Putin portrait, I thought it, as practical jokes go, I thought it was well done, well executed. Uh, there had to be some collusion involved in getting it up there. So, uh, Eric, there has been no collusion. <laughs> there was collusion involved in this case, I guarantee you. <laughs> Greg Silverman, attorney with uh, Silverman Olivas and a talk show host on KNUS 710, KNUS every Saturday morning. Uh, 36 hours, all it took was to raise the money for this portrait. A pretty impressive timing. What did you think of the whole presidential gallery kerfuffle? Well, it was quite a glaring absence. I was in the Capitol for the Steve Lubsack hearing, and that's a prominent display of the Gallery of Presidents. And even during the Lubsack hearing, it's already been over a year since Donald Trump was president. So, come on, where, you know, I should have said something, because it's our building, but I felt like it really wasn't my place. But what about the people who work there every day, like Grantham or, you know, the state officials, the governor? And what about the recently uh, deposed state historian Patty Limerick, should she have been on top of it? By the way, she's going to be my guest at 920 tomorrow morning, and I will ask her. It's funny because, you know, Trump's not popular, and he won't be till this Mueller-Putin monkey gets off of his back, and his attorney, Rudy Giuliani, said this week, put up or shut up, and that's the deal with the portrait, too. Put it up and shut up. <laughs> a, talk show, a talk show segue in the middle car to Inside Out. I, I'm not sure if that's a premiere, but very well executed, Greg. Well done. As the election season begins to heat up, how the gubernatorial candidates are choosing when and where to debate is making headlines. I'm proud and happy to report that both Walker Stapleton and Jared Polis have agreed to participate in the Colorado Decides debate that, will present, that we will present with our partners CBS4, KOA News Radio, and the Colorado Sun later this fall on October 4th. 
However, Jared Polis has decided this week that he will not participate in the Club 20 debate in Grand Junction, becoming the first major party candidate to not participate in the Club 20 debate for the last 30 years. Patty, I will fully admit I am biased in this issue. I'm a debate producer. I feel that as part of the uh, job, if you're going to ask the citizenry for a job, part of your interview process to do every debate possible, but I totally get my bias. What did you think of this decision from the Polis campaign? Well, I'm biased on this, too, because shame on Walker Stapleton for not having done the debate here before. There you go. So, uh, but this, is, this one is Polis is bad. This, it's not just that this is any debate, and we know that these candidates are hounded with a lot of, of offers, people who will have different debates. So you can't do everything, but the Club 20 has always been seen as the real kickoff of the debate season and the political season. And for him, we haven't heard what his, his excuse is for not going, but it's definitely a misfire. Donna Lynn would do fine. She was going to be his, I'm assuming, still is going to be his surrogate unless he comes to a census on this. But he should be on the Western Slope for that debate. Was it Diane Primavera is going to be his, uh, his lieutenant governor candidate? Yep. Oh, but gotcha. No, but oh. um, Donna... Donna Lynn's going to Donna go. Lynn okay. is going to do the is the surrogate. In fact, he's already announced that he has several surrogates who will be Ooh. going out. Like Michael Johnston is going to do a few, but you don't send a surrogate to the first big debate. Uh, that's, a, that's an excellent point, uh, David. What did you think of? Well, I guess your opinion of the Club Twenty debate overall. I mean, we're over here in Denver. I think the, the standard claim of Western Slope is totally different, but. I've heard of the Club 20 debate. I think a lot of people hear about that as a kickoff. People may not have watched it. People may not have changed their vote because of it, but I think it's fairly popular. What's your point? Uh, yes, and it's, it's, it, it gets noticed in the metro area on the, on the front range, and it's huge on the, in the, on the western slope. Uh, it will properly be taken as a snub, and Polis is... Well, first of all, he, he hasn't neglected campaigning on, on the Western Slope. He did his first post-primary event in Grand Junction. He's also done rallies in, in uh, Delta and Durango. But that said, it will, I think, correctly be viewed by the entire Western Slope as a snub. And he wasn't going to win that area anyway. But this is going to widen because of his views on oil and gas, among other things. But this is, this is going to widen his margin of loss in the West and contribute to the feeling that, oh, yeah, he, he's a Denver Boulder person who lives in that little bubble uh, over there and is very out of touch with uh, uh, the rest of Colorado. Eric, you've used the uh, tennis metaphor before, an unforced error. Uh, is that how you see this move? Yeah, that's exactly how I see this move. I used that as a description of Walker Stapleton during the primary, both with respect to, the, uh, to our debate here, the Colorado Sides debate that he ducked. Uh, as well as to some other Stapleton moves. I think this was an unforced error. It basically takes Stapleton off the hook as the debate ducker now. Uh, that goes to Jared Polis. I mean, it's true. He's not ducking debates, all debates. There, there are going to be plenty of mm -hmm. debates. It's not a matter that the two of them are not going to encounter each other. But I, I keep thinking of the song from Fiddler on the Roof, the old m musical. It just says tradition. There is something about the state's political traditions and one of those traditions, as Patty noted, is that the Club 20 debate is sort of the kickoff of the political season. It's often aired. It's aired on television across the Western Slope. Sometimes it's aired into the metro area as well. I think for Jared Polis, it's an unforced error, but it also, and David referenced this, there's a narrative out there, right, wrong, fair, unfair, 
that Polis is this Denver Boulder guy, and he's just not culturally suited to the state as a whole, whether it's the San Luis Valley, Southern Colorado, Western Colorado, et cetera. And this is not the last that's going to be heard of him skipping this debate. I'm sure it will be turned into a TV ad that runs across the Western Slope, et cetera. And the danger of it is it fits in and just accentuates that narrative that he's already combating. And I don't know why you would uh, feed a negative narrative of your, on, on your own part. Craig, do you think uh, Jared Polis is going to regret this move? I don't know. I'm in the mood for a, a musical after Eric. And uh, <laughs> Patty said it's the way it's always been. And then Eric talks about tradition. I think Jared would say it's a whole new world. Forget the old conventions. I mean, Club 20 is kind of old-timey Colorado. I remember doing a daily talk show. You had to wait about a week for the transcript, and then maybe they'll give you the tape. Come on, with modern communications, we can do better than that. I expect some people in Grand Junction will be irritated, but the rest of the Western Slope, Aspen, Steamboat Springs, I think Jared Polis is pretty popular there. It's Walker Stapleton who needs to take every opportunity because I consider him an underdog in this race. So he's got to throw punches, hard punches, uh, because if he just jabs at Jared Polis, I think he's going to lose and lose pretty big. And he might start off just attacking the media, you know, the New York Times and what they did to them, maybe attack the Denver Post. Hell, even attack Westward, attack PBS. I mean, he's got to <laughs> throw some hard punches. And look at Walker Stapleton agreeing to do the debate here. I mean, this is not friendly territory, really, for Walker. You guys will do a fair job, but most people who watch Channel 12 are going to be voting for Jared Polis. <laughs> I'm I'm only laughing because we, uh, I think the broad the broadcast audience in Denver, Colorado, and throughout the metro area is going to be uh, just as diverse as the, the the voter registration. I don't think it's a matter of Channel 12 viewers going to vote this way, so you should only do these certain channels because that debate that he's going to do October 4th with Walker Stapleton. Uh, is going to be on CBS4. It's going to be on 850 News Radio 850 right. KOA. It's going to be simulcast on KHOW. It's going to be on CPT12.org uh, and our broadcast channel and uh, a news organization, the Colorado Sun, sponsoring it. So to, to say that, well, this debate is going to be just these voters and this debate is going to be just these voters, I, I don't know. I think that's, that's a misnomer, but uh, you know what? It makes for good talk radio, so I'll, I'll grant you that. A decision by the Ninth U.S. District Court of Appeals this week ruled that President Trump's proposal to strip funding from so-called sanctuary cities was unconstitutional. The decision did not affect the national policy and sent the decision back to a lower court uh, for further fact-finding. David, you were one of our two esteemed uh, attorneys at the table today. What do we need to know about this decision that we haven't seen already? Okay, well, so the district court, uh, Santa Clara County and San Francisco County sued. The district court issued a national injunction against the Trump executive order. The Ninth Circuit, uh, on appeal, constricted that and said, now, all the evidence in this case that you presented has been about California, so this injunction only applies to California uh, against enforcement of the executive order, but you can, we'll now send it back to the district court, and maybe they'll come up with evidence to justify a national injunction. The law here is very clear, and really both sides agreed on it. Congress alone has the spending power. That's from the text of the Constitution. The president has no power to say, I won't spend money 
that Congress has appropriated, including money for grants to states or local governments. Congress has enacted a specific law that says, President, you should withhold money for three specific criminal justice assistance programs to sanctuary cities. So Judge Ferdinand Fernandez, the dissenter in this two-to-one Ninth Circuit decision, said, you can just read the executive order saying we're going to take enforcement of these congressional mandates not to give certain funds to sanctuary cities, and that's all we're doing here. The majority says, well, that's, that's a little too narrow an interpretation because, first of all, Trump makes all these grandiose but vague statements, you know, and then, then the Department of Justice lawyers have to say, look, whatever expansiveness he said with no detail in it, the only detail we're standing for is we're just going to obey the congressional law not to give these three grants to sanctuary cities. But the majority says, well, look at the whole thing in context. Why do you even issue the executive order then? Maybe it's like Seinfeld. It's an order about nothing. And there was at least one case of congressional testimony by an administration official that took a slightly broader interpretation of uh, withholding grants than the law would currently allow. So that was the basis for the, the two-to-one majority uh, affirming the injunction. Eric, I would not lean on you for further uh, legal analysis. You're uh, not smart, one of our esteemed attorneys. <laughs> but um, uh, Denver Mayor Michael Hancock came out and hailed the decision. Is he counting his chickens a little too early? Hancock has a very liberal, I mean, we're talking about, you know, Hancock is the mayor of the city and county of Denver, a, a very liberal city. He's looking at a re-election here nine, ten months down the road, and he's trying to reinforce that liberal base. So, no, I think it is a fairly cost-free criticism for Michael Hancock to issue. I'm sitting here between two lawyers, and David already laid it out in detail, and I suspect uh, Craig will go there as well. I, I will not go there. As critical as I am of the Trump administration immigration policy, of a lot of the nonsense and humanitarian disaster that's gone on on the border, I do still worry and look somewhat askance at the whole sanctuary city movement. I think the logical extension of sanctuary cities, you know, goes back to pre-Civil War. It's the whole idea of nullification and some parts of the country or some jurisdictions of the country are not going to enforce certain federal laws. So I think it is a road you walk down carefully and with some trepidation. In this polarized time we're living in, obviously concerns like that are quickly dismissed and you're either part of the Trump movement or you're part of the quote-unquote resistance uh, and there is no room for any subtlety. But I do think this issue requires some subtlety. It should be possible to be anti-Trump on immigration and yet not necessarily go to sanctuary cities as your alternative. Craig, you are our other esteemed attorney at the table, so what do our viewers need to know about this that we don't already well, know? Well, I mean, David Kopel is much more an expert. He read the decision and analyzed it for me, but I think Eric illustrates the politics of it. Sanctuary City even resonates with him and a lot of independent voters. So I think this big issue for Walker Stapleton, Donald Trump is going to use this for the midterms he may even shut down the Congress, and Walker may as well get on that Trump train or he'll get run over. He doesn't have to embrace the character flaws, and who knows what Mueller will do by then, but this is the Republican winning ticket, according to the White House, and it's going to affect everything in the midterms. 
Patty, wrap it up for us. What do you think about this issue that's only going to grow as we get closer to the election? Well, I would say Stapleton's pretty much on the Trump train right now. We don't have to worry, have him worry about uh, getting run over by it. We're just not sure exactly where that Trump train is going to take everyone in November. It's interesting because back when the whole sanctuary city issue first came up, you can remember that Hancock was kind of waffling. We were a welcoming city. We weren't a sanctuary city. Now I think we pretty much accepted we're going to be a sanctuary city. You see the fights we have about that ICE agents should not be apprehending people at the courts, for example, because that's upsetting the way our justice system works. It is not It is not a constitutional. It's not how that's supposed to go. You see the ICE protests out that are going on right now, and seven people were arrested out at the ICE headquarters in Aurora yesterday. So it is going to just get hotter, and it will divide people much more. But I think we do know who's on Trump's train. Supporters of the proposed Initiative 97, which would increase oil and natural gas well setbacks, announced this week that a second private signature gatherer it hired has been paid to stop and move out of the state. An audio recording of a conversation with a person who worked for a petition for Petition Connection, one of the companies they hired, said they were paid to leave the state. Uh, Eric, uh, in the past, you have advised and worked in different campaigns. With this kind of a move, is all fair in love, war, and politics, or is this dirty pool? All fairs in love, war, and politics circa 2018. I'm not sure you would have seen this circa 28 or 1998, but in these days, all is fair. The oil and gas industry clearly is doing, pulling out all stops to keep this thing off the ballot, which tells me they're worried about the prospects of this if it makes the ballot. Obviously, there's a cost prospect to it. It's going to cost them $20 million minimum, and you know, I've heard numbers as high as 30, 40, 50 million. I still, even in my wildest uh, imagination, don't know how you spend $50 million in Colorado, but I'm sure there's some consultants who could uh, help them develop uh, and devise such a plan. Uh, this, this smacks of tactics that we haven't seen in Colorado uh, historically. It is one thing to run radio ads saying, don't sign. Uh, I don't know that those ads are terribly effective, and we will see here shortly because the petitions are due days. on Monday. Uh, so before we tape again, we will know whether they got their numbers or are close to having their numbers. But um, oil and gas is—they're—they're uh, they're not playing for miscongeniality here. They are doing everything possible to keep this measure off the ballot, and um, it tells me they're worried about what happens if it makes the ballot. Craig, the backers of Initiative 97 make no bones about it. They want to end fracking in Colorado. So is this something that if you're going to uh, poke that hard at this kind of an industry, that they should expect almost anything from them? Oh, yeah. From big oil, what I know about it is they have a lot of money. I'm not an expert on oil and gas. In fact, most of what I know about oil and gas I learned at Taco Bell. But uh, I do know that I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want a Taco Bell within 2,500 feet of my house. And I don't want uh, an oil rig 2,500 feet from my house. So they do have to worry that if that becomes the ballot issue, a lot of people will say, I don't want that in my neighborhood. So I think Big Oil is trying to kill it in its crib, and that's why they're fighting so hard. Patty, uh, you go to punch the biggest guy in the yard and he comes back with a shiv. You can't be surprised, right? Right, but it does seem like there's a lot of dirty, ca dirty campaigning going on here. The rumors that they were paying the protesters, not just the petition gatherers who do get paid to do their job, but that, that 
actors were protesting. There are just a lot of rumors around it. But, and it's just as murky, really, as the science about fracking, which is one of the issues. People are still not really sure exactly at what point it becomes truly hazardous to your health. Is it 2,500 feet? Is it 500 feet or 1,000 feet, the setbacks? But the people pushing for this bill this time have a pretty good mascot and symbol in the people who were killed at the fire in Firestone, that oil and gas is not, yes, it's made a big comeback financially in this state, but at what price for human life? Dave Repro for us. If it is true, which we don't know, but that, that somebody paid the petition firm to cease work in the middle of the job. That's not legal and it's not all's fair. That's the illegal tortious interference with contract, if that did happen. What's certainly not illegal and is fair for people who oppose the petitions to hang out in the area where petitions are being gathered and as long as they don't break other laws, you know, like physically attacking people or, or otherwise improperly uh, intruding themselves, but to stand at some reasonable distance and say, don't sign, they're deceiving you, that's a perfectly lawful thing to do, and that's part of the give and take of, of freedom of speech. Let's get a quick take on this last one. The I-70 widening project in North Denver, officially called the Central 70 Project, broke ground today. The $1.17 billion project is set to take four years and dramatically affect the Swansea and Elyria neighborhoods as it replaces 10 miles of the highway that was originally built in the 1960s. Uh, Craig, I think it's uh, nice that we're talking about this topic, especially just a couple days after Colorado Day. This is a huge part of Denver, uh, part of its history. Uh, what do you think we're going to be thinking about this four years from now? Oh, boy, yes. It. I'm thinking about my beloved City Park Golf Course. Played there for about 50 years. Mm -hmm. I haven't driven by, but I saw some video, and it's just horrific. It's like a, a nightmare for people who love City Park. But I-70 surely needed the change. I hope we still get the... Purina dog food smell when we drive by. That's that's classic Denver, and hopefully traffic will be better. It's progress, but look at Brighton Boulevard. Just when it gets fixed, now they're going to mess with I-70. Patty, is this going to be better or worse than the T-Rex project? Well, let's hope it's better than the Brighton project, because that's still not done. And even though we've already set, celebrated the ribbon cutting, what we really hope it isn't as bad as is the VA hospital. You know, so <laughs> if we can come in just close to on budget and in four years, and good luck to everyone surviving the traffic over the next four years. But um, it'll certainly be better than what we have now. Was it the ideal solution? Should we have looked at it going around the metro area? Too late to decide that now. David, should we expect this to be on time? Probably yes. I mean, the, the one project I, I know well was the uh, U.S. 36 widening, which was uh, definitely inconvenient at times, but it, it was well staged and, and moved along appropriately and, and came out with an excellent product at the end of the system. So hopefully this will work that well and something has to be done. It's like you, you, when you're 15 years old, you can't wear the same pants you wore when you were 10, and we need more roads than we did in 1965. There's probably a joke in there that Craig wants to make somewhere. But I'm going to, Eric, I'm going to let you just finish this one off. I'm not, I'm not, what do I'm you not, think? I'm not going near a joke. <laughs> it is going to be a nightmare of gridlock for the next four years. Nonetheless, it needs to happen. It will be progress when it is finally over. I hope David is right with his comparison to the U.S. 36 project. But if we book a show for Colorado Day or that Friday in 2022, four years from now, I think it's a very open bet whether this project is done. Time for a favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. 
Well, according to some of our callers and writers, we are all the disgrace for last year's discussion of Stapleton, uh, last week's discussion of the New York Times piece. But I just have to throw this out to Walker Stapleton. Do not think, like Trump, who is the engineer of your train, that media are the enemy of the people. Please start referring, uh, returning reporters' phone calls. I think it's only fair to really talk to people if you're running for governor. You're here. David. The control freaks who are running a ballot initiative that would make it illegal for parents to buy cell smartphones for their preteen children. Fascist and communist societies believe in central control of the family. Free societies let families make their own choices. Eric. Here, here, to David's point. The New York Times has had a tough run here lately. With, with We have the Walker-Stapleton story that we have critiqued uh, on the show for a couple of weeks. They've now hired a new columnist, Sarah Jiang who has quite the track record of racist tweets and racist pr provocation, the Times is standing by her because that racism has been directed at white people, uh, where the Times cashiered a previous columnist where the racism was very blatant but directed at minorities. To my thinking, racism is racism no matter where you direct your hate, and the New York Times ought to do better. Craig. Well, I'm going to criticize snowflakes on the left and on the right. Some people on the left who just can't hear anything good about Donald Trump. And then there's the Trump base. They, they won't listen to any questions like, what the heck happened in Helsinki? I mean, they're legitimate questions. And if you can't talk about it or if you shut down or melt down, that's disgraceful. Time to see something nice about somebody. Patty. Manny Salzman, who was a great symbol of Lower Downtown, moved down there before it was known as Lodo, had a bathtub up on the top of this old dilapidated warehouse he and his wife moved into. Wonderful symbol of the spirit of this city. Passed away just shy of his 100th birthday. David. Now, um, outgoing CU President Bruce Benson, who uh, it's, uh, we found out that CU fundraising has tripled in the past decade. And that is these days the main job of a university president is to bring in the dough. And he's the, uh, I guess, the all-time champion in Colorado higher education for that. So good for him. Eric. Speaking of the University of Colorado, uh, the state lost a real statesman and leader in John Beekner, who passed away in, in the last week. Uh, an institution uh, of leadership around CU and in local government and around the state capitol uh, in, in decades gone by in this state. And changing real quickly, happy birthday to my former boss, uh, Governor Richard Lamb. Birthday today. You're here. Craig. Isn't 4.0 a good number? After all, wouldn't you want a 4.0 student in your house? But we have a 4.0 president. 4.1% growth GDP the last quarter and 3.9% unemployment, historically low. That averages to a 4.0. Way to go. That is all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out, but I do want to add uh, just a, a, an echo to uh, Patty Say Something Nice, May Saltzman, the father of uh, both a, a friend and critic of the show, Jason Saltzman. If you, uh, you can go to the coloradoindependent.com, and they have reposted uh, a writing about him, about his father that Jason wrote, and it's uh, really quite something. It talks a lot about uh, what uh, Patty mentioned. It's a great, great piece. That is all the time we have for this show. Take CIO wherever you go. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you name it. We are there. Check out our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. And for everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night. Hello.